you for this time. Lord, as we consider the rich truth that's found in your word, God, we're just simply thankful. We're thankful for what you've taught us so far with Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Lord, it's so needed for us today. God, I pray that this passage here today, that we would grow deeper in our love of you, that we would um, learn some, some doctrine and theology that is found here. God, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, make plain the things uh, that you would have us learn here today. Lord, today we're going to be examining where we're at on this, this line that's drawn in the sand. And God, I just pray that you would work in the hearts of us, God, that we would be confident and sure that we are on the right side of that line. Lord, as we look at how uh, the Spirit works in the life of the believer today just a little bit, I pray that we would be encouraged that we are not alone that this Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, dwells inside of the Christian and that we are never alone and that you are not a God that leaves us hanging, but you are a deeply personal God that leads us and guides us. That, Lord, you, you, you've entrusted uh, the gospel to us. And, Lord, we are thankful for that. We give you the rest of this time. We ask you to continue to lead us, continue to guide us. And, Lord, uh, we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's an old story of a 20th century violin virtuoso named Fritz Kreisler. It animates an important point this morning. Setting out from Hamburg, Germany, one day to give a concert in London, the violinist Fritz Kreisler had about an hour before his boat sailed. He wandered into a music shop where the proprietor asked if he could take a look at the violin that Fritz was carrying. The proprietor quickly vanished and returned with two policemen, one of whom looked at the violinist and told him, you are under arrest. What for? asked Fritz. Well, you have Fritz Chrysler's violin. Indeed I do. I am Fritz Chrysler, protested the musician. No, you're not. Come along. As Chrysler's boat was sailing soon, there was no time for prolonged explanations. He didn't have the time to explain himself. Chrysler simply asked for the violin and played a piece that he was well known for, a piece that he had written. Now, are you satisfied? He asked the police officer. The policemen looked at one another and let Fritz go that day because Fritz Chrysler had done what only Fritz Chrysler could do. And today, Paul is going to reveal to his readers, reveal to us, something that it can only be done in and for and through Christians. That through the power of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Christians are able to hear and to learn and to grow in their faith through the gifts and the blessings of God. Let's read today's text starting in verse 10. We're in 1 Corinthians 2. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. 
And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here we have Paul coming to the conclusion of an argument that he began way back in chapter 1. It comes down to two different kinds of people. We have the spiritual person and we have the natural person. He clearly gives us two categories of people. So you've been with us since the beginning of September. You have seen how Paul has encouraged the Corinthian church to be a holy people and to live out that holiness as a body of Christ. To be a thankful people who understands that every good gift is given from God. And he has given us all the gifts that we need, so we ought to be thankful. And to be a united people, and to not let petty things divide us, uh, not let petty things divide the Corinthian church, to not let things get in the way of what God is doing in the local church body. And now Paul has just written about the wisdom of God and the power of God in Christ, and that Paul's message was not focused on being pleasing to the ears, but he came with substance, not style, as we looked at last week. And Paul wants to cut to the core of truth and focus on the message of Christ and Christ crucified. And right before our passage here today, he says what, uh, in verse 9, but it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And it's those things that we're talking about in verse 10, where he says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So all that we have read so far in 1 Corinthians, all the things we have studied here at church, we've seen, are not just given to us as Christians, but they are revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit is the conduit God uses to reveal truth to the believer. Paul wants to take time today to articulate that the Holy Spirit is not just this thing out there, not just this mystic being, that the Holy Spirit is indeed God. And that is the conduit that God the Father uses to reveal truth to the believer. So we have to ask, well, why can we trust the Spirit? If that's what, that's what it is, then why can we trust it? Well, you see, we're told here in verse 10 that he searches everything, even the depths of God. You see, the Spirit knows the mind of God perfectly, and God has entrusted the, the revelation of his truth to the Holy Spirit, and that's namely the Word of God. You see, we know that the Holy Spirit is the divine author of Scripture. It's his inspiration, but he used men to write the very Word of God, using genres and personalities and writing styles. He used uh, the, the words of man, but it's the Word of God. He revealed his message to the apostles and the other writers of Scripture. And God uses Scripture to grow us, to teach us, and to make us more like Christ. See, Paul continues in verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? 
So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now this is the part of my notes where I'm supposed to say, you know, my wife's not really in the service, so I can get away with asking this, but my wife is in this service, so I have to tread lightly here. Um, I, okay, it's okay. That's a nervous laugh I heard. It's okay. It's okay. I'm nervous too. <laughs> All right. Consider your best friend or your spouse if you're married. How well do you really know that person? How well do you really know that person? You know, the reality is, is that we really only know what people are willing to share with us or to show us. And the truth is, we know ourselves deeper than any other human being and more than any other human being knows us. We know ourselves deeper. And Paul here is reminding the reader, and I believe he's reminding us, that the Spirit knows the depths of God because he himself is God. The Spirit of God is the one who intimately knows the depths of God and the thoughts of God, whom God has sent to reveal his own wisdom to those who believe because he is God. And Paul takes it a step further and he says, as a church in verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, the Holy Spirit, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Paul is saying we have received God. The passage right before this, Paul talks about the spirit of the world. And Pastor Andrew spoke about this last week, and it's important for us to remember that the spirit of the world is referring to the wisdom according to the world. Now, the reality is, is wisdom is, is from God, so the wisdom according to the world is not actually wisdom at all. It's a counterfeit. But Paul has made clear in the passage before this one that there's a war raging between the real wisdom and the counterfeit. Paul continues his point here that what has been received from God, not the world, and that those things might be understood, have been freely given by God. These things he's speaking of, the things that are found in Scripture, were revealed to the authors and written down for us to receive today. The Bible has been completed. There's nothing more to add. Uh, the canon, or the, the canon's a fancy word for measurement, is closed. We would say that the 66 books found in our Bible is what God has ordained for us to have as the Holy Scriptures, no more, no less. And that, the, the fact that Paul is writing as an apostle, he's writing as someone who, who is writing the very words of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says they were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the things of Scripture so that we, the recipients, might understand through the Spirit. You see, we have received that we might know the Spirit used words that human writers knew and used, but he, it, was, it was God, the Spirit, it was God that selected them and arranged them in precisely the order that he saw fit. 
And the Spirit didn't just do that, right? We, we're told that the Spirit came at Pentecost and, and that the Spirit just went rampant. And, and the purpose really of that was the gospel went forward into the world. We see the Holy Spirit came and now the Spirit now dwells inside of the believer that you and I now tabernacle or we become the tent of God because the Spirit dwells inside of us as Christians. We're told that conversion, now this is 1 Corinthians 12, so we can't go too far into that. Otherwise, I'd steal Pastor Jeff's material. You know what I'm saying? I can't do that. But <laughs> 1 Corinthians 12, we're told that we're baptized by the Holy Spirit, a one-time act that, that really just ensures our salvation. That baptism of the Holy Spirit now baptizes us into the family of God as a child of God. And we're no longer dead in our sin, but we are alive in Christ. We're baptized by the Holy Spirit. And Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, you and I who are in Christ, the Spirit is alive and fruit forms, that things happen in our life and makes us different because of it. The Spirit is alive and active in our lives. The Spirit used the apostles and the writers of Scripture uh, to write the Word of God, and we get to receive the Word of God and interpret it and, and read it well because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13. He says, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Once again, we, the writers, we, the apostles, impart this, uh, these words, not, not the human wisdom, but, but really wisdom given by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths. So now in light of the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit in and to the believer, Paul takes this a step further and gives us insight on the how question. Paul is acknowledging that uh, it's not human wisdom, right? He said this earlier, I didn't come with fancy words. I didn't come with, 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 a, with a show. I came with the power of God. I came with the words of God. And now we're seeing that the very words imparted by man, him, the author's, are not taught by human wisdom, but by the Spirit. You see, words in Scripture are not human-based. It's Holy Spirit wisdom given. They're inspired. So what does the Spirit do according to this verse? Well, according to this verse, he interprets spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. So what is this? Well, this is where we get to this beautiful gift this beautiful doctrine of Christianity called illumination. And this gift of the Holy Spirit to the believers is where the Spirit allows us as Christians to understand the things from God. The illuminating work of the Holy Spirit is what enables the believer to understand. It's not natural for you and I to read the Bible and understand it's not natural for you and I to get into the Word and be changed. It's a gift. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Illumination is a form of gaining wisdom in circumstances. Perhaps you've been at a crossroads before and you feel like you're just praying, Lord, would you just make it obvious which path to go? Lord, would you give me wisdom here? Would you show me what's the right way? What we're praying for is, Lord, would you send illumination my way? Will you give me wisdom that comes from you, Spirit? And it's illuminations what allows us to read the Bible and gain from it. It's the reason you and I can read a passage maybe we've read a hundred times and it still speaks to us. It's the, it's the Spirit uh, allowing us to understand fresh truth that's still God's truth from the same passage. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament speaks to illumination. 
In the Old Testament, we see the psalmist pray, Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. Lord, illuminate the word of your law so I might behold wondrous things. You and I might read some of the same things over and over again. We're like, read that before, read that before. And yet we see the psalmist saying, the law, the thing that some people say, no, 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 I don't want any part of that. The psalmist is saying, let me just devour this. Would you give me opened eyes so I might delight in these things, that I might find wondrous things in the law? And in the New Testament, we see the disciples were put on trial because of persecution. And it was the Holy Spirit that would teach them what to say. It was the Spirit that... uh, in Acts, laced throughout the entire book of Acts, we see examples of God revealing details about upcoming events in people's lives, specifically so that they could be prepared and that they would be obedient to what God was calling them to do. And even showing up to Paul directly in 1 Timothy 4, uh, telling Paul what would happen in the later days of the church. See, illumination is for the believer. It's a gift and a work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And this is where we look at what it means to be a natural person. This is where Paul has drew the line in the sand You see, first, we again have the theme that we have seen in this letter pop up again and again, the reality that things of God are folly or foolishness to the non-believer. You probably remember Paul's remarks previously about the natural person finding foolishness in both the word of the cross, that's chapter 1, verse 18, and in Christ crucified, that's chapter 1, verse 23. Let's consider what these points actually are. When you and I look at what, it, what the message of the word of the cross, the word of the cross is the idea that there's punishment for sin. That you and I are not just, you know, trying hard and, and, and doing our best, but that you and I are actually born sinful. And Psalm 51 says, In sin did my mother conceive me. Before my first breath, I'm a sinner, which means I'm, I'm born into this world separated from God because of sin. And then we could say, well, that seems a bit rough and tough. But yeah, but the thing is, is because Adam and Eve sinned because of, of inherited sin, that's one thing. But the reality is, is my heart is so bent away from God that given the choice, I'd make the same choice, to run from God. And that's foolishness to those who don't believe. And the message of the word of the cross is that there's a cancellation of debt of God, and it's not something that I've done to earn it. It's, in fact, what I couldn't do, someone else did for me, that God took on flesh. Jesus, born of a virgin, born as a baby, fully God, fully man, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, was buried and then rose again, conquering the grave, which shows even death doesn't beat this. And that cancellation of debt through, through the word of the cross and what that means is foolishness to those who don't believe. And in, in the Christ crucified, it's foolishness to think of a sacrifice being needed. I can do things myself, thank you. I don't need anything. Or this idea of atonement, this idea that I can be made right before God. Somehow I don't earn it, but it's just given to me. That's foolishness. We're Americans. We earn what we have. It's foolishness. 
God sending his son to be crucified. That's foolishness. Paul says for the believer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we understand to some extent this amazing gift of God. But for the non-believer, it's foolishness. And second, his words are alarming here. He says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You know, it's one thing to not want to. It's another thing to not be able to. This gives us a chance to consider what it looks like to have a relationship with Christ versus not having a relationship with Christ. Perhaps you were like me at one point and you thought, if you just do the right things in life, if you just work to the best of your ability, if you just work hard at pleasing God, maybe God would notice you. And then by the time you stand before the Lord, maybe he'll say, well, the good things outweigh the bad things, so I guess you're good to go. And it's like, well, this isn't high school, man. You don't just graduate with 1.7 GPA, right? There's, there's things, right? Maybe you're like me and you have a high view of people at one point. Things aren't that bad. People aren't that bad. Yeah, there's a few crazies out there, but a few bad apples should not spoil the whole bunch, right? Shouldn't ruin it. That people are genuinely good. And while I poke fun a little bit, and I think it sounds really nice, I can't read Scripture well and have that view. Perhaps one of the more straightforward, straight-to-the-point verses we have is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus. Ephesians 2.1 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You see, Paul is reminding the church in Ephesus, and he's reminding us that we are not simply good people trying hard, that we are not naturally good. We're not just spiritually asleep people who need to be woken up. We are dead in the trespass and sin, that we have spiritually crossed a line, and we have acted out against God, and that is our natural state. And this is where we might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't understand. <clears throat> That's not me. I, I volunteer. I work hard. I love my family well. I try to do the best thing. I don't even speed. You know, <laughs> I do good things. But in my experience, what I've noticed is that, well, one, Scripture says that my own righteousness is as filthy rags to God and anyone I know, including myself at times, when I'm doing things, not operating out of an overflow of what's going on inside my heart through a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's actually an extension of my own self-righteousness. And I want that credit. And I want people to notice. I might act like I don't, but I do. And even the really, really good things can be an extension of our own self-righteousness. But there's hope. You see, Paul to the Church of Colossae gives the other side of the equation here. Colossians 2.13 says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. He, being Jesus, makes all things well. He, being Jesus, is the one who forgives us our sins. He, being Jesus, is the one that makes us right with the Father. 
He, being Jesus, is the one that allows us to inherit the Holy Spirit to dwell within us as Christians. And it's because of that that if you and I are in Christ, we can do what verse 14 says. To understand the spiritual things because they are spiritually discerned. And then in true Paul fashion, he starts to segue into another thought. Paul writes like I think. I love it. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. See, Paul is speaking to the reality of those of us who are in Christ have all we need in God and in God alone. And it reminds me of John's letter in 1 John 2, verse 27. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as, it, uh, as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide or remain in him. You see, Paul is not saying, John is not saying, that you do not need teachers in our lives. They're not saying that we don't need people to have our back in the faith or that we won't be judged by anyone necessarily or feel the judgment. What Paul, I think, and John are saying here is that the primary voice in a believer's life should be that of the Holy Spirit. That it's not so much that we need to look to people to teach us and correct us, but the primary voice ought to be that of God's. And verse 15 literally says, judge by no one. Uh, but really, Paul is continuing this thought of, of no one meaning as a spiritual person, as someone who's in Christ, as someone who has the Holy Spirit alive inside of us, as a Christian, people outside of the church, the non-believer, the spiritual person, they can't judge me. I can feel judged by them. But the God that I serve is actually the judge. He's going to judge me one day, but he's also going to judge the natural person. And this judge is the one that we need to be most concerned with. You see, it's the natural person attempting to judge the spiritual person. And the truth is, as Christians, we will oftentimes feel misunderstood. Oftentimes, maybe we're spoken harshly to or about, or maybe even worse at times, the reality is, is, for the believer, we understand that only God is the judge and that we have been justified through Christ. So when you're getting ready for Thanksgiving and you might realize you have a few family members that don't love the Lord, I get that. And we're afraid of what conversation might pop up because we just don't want to have that conversation again or, or we just get nervous about the folks we work with and we just wonder if they'll ever get it. And, and we were afraid maybe to be a little bold or a little, little uh, um, verbal about how we feel or what we see is truth. And we feel the pressure. We can take refuge in the fact that we understand that we stand before man today, but we stand before God at judgment day. And if we're justified in Christ, he finds us to be faithful. That's our reward we shrink back today a little bit out of fear, but we don't need to. This isn't our reality. As a spiritual person, the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us, and we walk in faith. We walk in the light as he is in the light, and that's reality. It's the Holy Spirit who does the work in the believer, though. 
It's he that eliminates the word of God for the believer. And it's he that allows a believer to discern the truth and know how to judge the world around them. You see, verse 16 takes it a step further even. He says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That question, for who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? Well, who, who has understood the mind of God? The Holy Spirit. He's going back to his, his first point. The Spirit knows. But we have the, the mind of Christ. As a Christian, our minds change. Our hearts change. Our lives change. We're now part of the body of Christ. We've been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the family of God. We're now children, not enemies of God. You see, part of being this family, uh, talking about the judgment, allows us to judge uh, to some extent one another. It allows us to be uh, the keeper of our brother and our sisters when we do so in love. That when we have someone approach us with accountability or lifestyle questions, we ought to be open to what they have for us. And if we were to approach someone else, we, we ought to first examine ourselves and with humility and love approach someone. When we look at the mind of Christ, it means our lives are different, but it's not anything we do or earn. It's the Holy Spirit alive inside of us. So all that to say, how do we wrestle and take away some of these things this week uh, through these six verses? What application can we pull from this text? Well, one, I think we need to ask ourselves the hard question. Are we the natural person or are we the spiritual person? Are we a Christian as Scripture defines it? Not as we maybe grew up with or how we feel good, like content with, but not just sitting on a Sunday morning, putting a little on the plate, volunteering some time, or just doing the best we can to, to just try to be okay, but truly getting to a point where we come to an end where we realize <laughs> I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm lost without him. That, that the Holy Spirit is prompting and regenerating a new heart in me that I'm now able to take the first step to, towards him and not denying what, what God's doing in my life, but truly coming to a point where saying, Lord, I, I know you're doing something in me and I repent. I'm lost without you. I'm no longer choosing to walk as a natural person. I'm walking as a spiritual person as scripture defines it. Are, are we willing to have that conversation? Are we, are we willing to acknowledge our sin? Are we willing to be alive in Christ? I think secondly, maybe the more harder-hitting one is for the world around us, whether it's our family, our friends, our uh, schools we go to, or our jobs. We need to understand that we're surrounded by folks who are natural people. We're surrounded by folks who are spiritually dead. And that should not give us a platform to say, look, this is why you need Jesus, right? Pointing fingers. <laughs> this should motivate us to drop to our knees and beg God, would you reveal truth to so-and-so? God, would the Holy Spirit do a work in them to allow them to get to a place of acknowledging Christ as their Savior? That I don't get frustrated at the thought of thanksgiving. I get, I get desperate that God would do something in the folks around the table. That I don't get nervous about the hallway at school or the break room at work, but I get desperate that God, would you do something Lord, would you allow me to have that conversation? Would you allow me to, to talk about or read my Bible or, or do whatever? Lord, use me. But it's not my own works. It's the Spirit working inside of me and through me. 
instead of casting judgment, are we desperate before the Lord for the lost, for the folks who are the natural people, to use the phrase from this passage? Would we pray that God would regenerate the hearts and minds of the natural people in our life and call the ones we love to himself? And lastly, I think one big application is to consider the truth that we are accountable to God for the gifts he has given us. If you and I are in Christ, we now have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. Are you living a spirit-led life? Do you know that when you wake up in the morning, the Spirit is with you? When you walk throughout your day, the Spirit is with you. When you go to bed, the Spirit is with you. And if you and I were to have something come in our head that, that, that the Spirit's prompting or leading us, then we, we just kind of shrug it off. That, that That's not honoring God. That he has given us spiritual fruit in our lives, that, that through our spiritual fruit we can impact the world around us for Christ. And if we're not doing that, that's not being a good steward of the gift. That when we read Scripture, it comes to life. So if you and I decide, I'm a little busy today, I can't really dust off the old Bible. It's not being a good steward of this gift of illumination that says when we read Scripture, the Spirit illuminates it so we can understand it because we're in Christ. It's this amazing gift that we have. Are we being good stewards with what we have? The eternal life that God has graciously given us through Christ. My prayer is that you and I would be found to be in Christ, that we would be the spiritual people that Paul is referring to in today's text. Would you pray with me? Father, as we consider the truth from these six verses, we know that, um, God, if we're honest, sometimes as Christians, we feel like we're in these deep back and forths of living life as a spirit-led person and living life as a natural person. So, Lord, first off, we repent of the sin in our own life, God. Lord, may we never find a platform on our life in Christ to push others around or point fingers. Lord, may we humbly come before you in prayer, God, lifting up, interceding for the people in our lives and around us who who need to know you, God. Lord, I pray as we move into uh, the week after today, Lord, I pray that we would be open to what your Spirit's doing in us. God, that we would ask for um, opportunities to engage in conversation and to show the love of Christ to the world around us. God, I pray that you would use um, your word today to motivate us to be a a spirit-led church, God, continue to walk in in the spirit, God. Lord, ultimately, if we find ourselves here today and we're we're on the the side of the natural person, uh, God, I pray ultimately that you would do a work in our hearts, God, that you would uh, lead Uh, folks to you today. God, that we would see folks who acknowledge sin because of what the Spirit's doing inside of them and and repent and be part of uh, the church, not just Highland, but the capital C church. God, that they would have new life and eternal life only found in Christ. Lord, use this time to motivate us to live out our faith. God, we're about to sing to you and and declare truth to you and, and ask you to do something Um, unique in our world. So Lord, we we pray that you would find this worship to be appealing, 
And God, we thank you for this time together, Lord. We're grateful for the opportunity uh, to learn alongside of one another in this time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.